Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast, where you'll find fresh messages uploaded weekly. Pathway Church is a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. We hope that what you hear today will help you to take one step closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us, and if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. This morning, we're kicking off a three-week message series called Times Like These, and for the next three weeks, we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 17. You just heard the text that we're going to be looking at today, but I wanted to just take a moment to sort of introduce the series, and I've called it Times Like These because we certainly live in unique times, don't we? I mean, those who may be watching this a few months down the road or years down the road, we're in April 2020, and right now we are in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, which means businesses are closed. Many of them, people are, are at home in isolation. Uh, many people are social distancing uh, to slow the spread of the virus, and so they are particular times And I wanted to take uh, three weeks to talk directly to our church about how we approach a moment in time like this, how we approach situations like this. How can we have faith through uncertain times? And they certainly are times that are uncertain. We don't know what's coming next. And uh, and so today I want to talk about this idea of times like these, the ones that we currently find ourselves in. I don't know how many of you watch the news. I'm I'm not a big news watcher. I find that when I watch the news, um, they predominantly put stuff in front of us that they know will grab and steal our attention. And they do that because they're smart and they know that disaster sells. They know that things that are, are weird and wonderful sell. Um, you know, if I were to take this, if I were to take this red dot and I was to sneak into your house last night and stuck it on the wall, right now you wouldn't be watching me on the screen. You'd be looking at the wall going, where'd the red dot come from? Our brains are powerful. They notice things that are different, unusual, threatening, and uh, newscasters certainly understand that, and so they put things in front of us that will grab our attention, and sometimes they're not the right things we need to be looking at. In fact, a few days ago, uh, my wife Jessica told me about this article she found, and apparently there's this pastor, who will remain unnamed, who is encouraging his entire church to continue gathering publicly in spite of the health authorities and what they've been communicating And uh, also, this pastor has been telling the people in the church to take the stimulus money that the government is giving them, you know, to feed their families and stuff. And he's like, take that money and give it to me. And of course, this pastor makes frontline headline news across the country. And I said to my wife, I said, Jess, you know, there are thousands, maybe tens of thousands of pastors and churches across our country who are, number one, following the rules encouraging people to stay home. They're finding creative ways to pray and to lead and to preach. And, and they're helping their church people and also their community. And none of that gets to the news, right? You know what gets to the news? The wacko pastor, the red dot, right? Because people will pay attention to that. And so be careful what you're watching. Be careful what you're paying attention to. Anytime I, I do check in on the news feeds and articles and things like that, one of the things I've noticed is a phrase that maybe some of you have heard. And it's the phrase, unprecedented times. Unprecedented times. Uh, Put a little thumbs up in the comment section if you've heard that wording or that phrase in the last uh, month. Unprecedented times. Sounds ominous, doesn't it? Unprecedented times. Well, you know, the word unprecedented can kind of be tricky. You know, there are certain words that are tricky. And I was thinking of one of the tricky words that I've discovered is the word fine. Fine is a tricky word because it can be interpreted many different ways. It's often uh, viewed very differently if a, if a husband 
you know, uh, asks his wife, how are you today? And she says, well, I'm fine. Well, he knows if you've been married for a while, fine does not actually mean fine many of the times. And, and also, if, if she asks him, like, hey, how do I look in this dress? And he says, you look fine. That's not going to be very good for him. If she asks him, how does that girl over there look in the dress? And he says, she looks fine. It's, see, it's going to be interpreted differently every single time, and things will not go fine for him. So I guess the, the point of that is just stay away from the word fine. Uh, the word unprecedented is another interesting, tricky word because something can be unprecedented for me and not unprecedented for you. For example, I have never been to Europe. I would love to travel to Europe, be something I would love to do. For me, going to Europe would be unprecedented. And some of you have already been there, like it's no big deal. But for me, it would be unprecedented. Uh, eating seafood, particularly sushi, would be unprecedented for me. I don't eat seafood. I don't like seafood. Everyone keeps telling me, oh, pastor, if, if you just tasted the way I make the seafood, you would love this lobster. You would love this fish the way I glaze it. It's like, no, it still tastes like fish. It's nasty. Please don't bring me some, okay? And, and, and so for me to eat that would be unprecedented. It's something new. In fact, Merriam-Webster defines unprecedented this way. Unprecedented is something not done or experienced before, right? So it can be unprecedented for me, but not for you. And when we talk about the times that we're living in, this pandemic being unprecedented, there's a sense in which it's true. Most of us haven't lived through a viral pandemic before. So it's new and it's scary and all of those things, and it's serious and we need to take it seriously. However, I was reading an article this week by the Medical News Today, and the article uh, simply said that pandemics have been playing a role in shaping human history throughout the ages and it said, uh, few people reading this today will remember outbreaks of this scale, but history shows us that although it's devastating, what we're experiencing now is nothing unusual. And the article went to compare what we're currently living through with some of the pandemics in the last hundred years and beyond. And some of you will remember SARS, and some of you will remember H1N1, and some of you will remember HIV, kind of a big deal. 32 million people have died from it so far. Uh, then there was the Spanish flu in 1918. At the tail end of World War I, millions of people had already died. The Spanish flu takes out 50 million people. So even though we are in unprecedented times for us, it doesn't mean that they're unprecedented times in human history. And it's helpful to remember that because I think there's a lie about, un- being, about things being unprecedented. And I want to encourage you today, I'm not trying to downplay our current situation, but I want to encourage you not to buy the unprecedented lie. And what I mean by that is don't buy into this unprecedented idea. Since the beginning of time, I think Satan, the enemy of God, works in this way. He is trying to get you to think that your situation is unprecedented. No one else has ever had the doubts that you have. No one else has ever, has ever doubted God's faithfulness. It's only you. You're feeling something that's unprecedented. Maybe you're at home and through this whole situation, you've been feeling great anxiety and stress and fear. And in your mind, you look around and you're like, everyone else seems fine. It's just me. It's unprecedented. And if you buy the unprecedented lie, you won't reach out for help and support from the people who have actually been there as well. You won't reach out for support from your God who has been there. People at home, maybe uh, your marriage is struggling. Uh, this is certainly taxing marriages all across our church, I'm sure. I mean, you lock husband and wife in a house for six weeks. Uh, things start to happen. Things start to surface. And you might be thinking, well, we're the only people. Everyone else is happily married. They don't have any issues. 
It's an unprecedented lie. Your situation isn't unprecedented. No one else is struggling with this addiction. No one else is feeling these doubts. It's, it's not true. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says that we have a high priest. We have a God and a Savior who came to this earth and suffered like we suffer, who was tempted in every way just like us, who experienced betrayal, who experienced loss, who experienced pain, who experienced fear coming upon him, and all of it he experienced and conquered. So don't believe the lie. Don't buy the unprecedented lie because here's what you need to know. There are people in our church family who have been through what you are going through, who can support you, love you, and walk with you. And we have a God who has conquered and a God who has experienced many of the things that you're feeling and he's overcome. So that's encouraging to me. We don't want to buy the unprecedented lie. In fact, um, Solomon, the third king of Israel, wrote a book called Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes 1 Verse 9, he says uh, this, What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. 3,000 years ago, Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. And you may be like, well, pastor, don't you know we have cell phones, we have technology and satellites and airplanes? They didn't have that stuff. Maybe not, but they had greed, and they had anger, and they had hope and they had friendship, and they had uh, selfishness, the, the motivating things that drive our economy and our lives and our problems and our virtues, all of those things are the same. And what Solomon is trying to say is like, regardless of what you're experiencing, it's the same stuff circling around. And so guess what? The same solution that was there 3,000 years ago is still there today, that we must trust in God through uncertain times. So Today we're going to turn to 1 Kings chapter 17, and we're going to be introduced to a couple characters. The first character we're going to be introduced to is uh, Elijah. Now, Elijah is one of the major prophets. He could be the most significant prophet in all the Bible. It's arguable. And we're going to see a man by the name of Ahab, who is the king of the northern half of Israel. And, and Ahab is a wicked king. The scriptures tell us that he was more wicked and did more evil in the sight of God than his father and his father's father. I mean, this guy was evil on steroids. He was, he was finding new ways to do old sins. And so Ahab is not a good guy. He has disobeyed God. He has run in the wrong direction. And now we're going to see Elijah, this prophet of God who we've never seen before. This is the first time he appears in scripture and there's no trumpets. There's no bright lights. He just walks in and here's what it says. Chapter 17, verse 1. Now, Elijah the Tishbite is telling us where he's from. Of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab. So you have this, at this time, no-name prophet. No one's ever heard of him. He walks in, and he's going to speak to the king of the nation of Israel. And his name's Ahab. And here's what he says to him. He says, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand. See, Ahab had turned away from the God of Israel and embraced the gods of his wife Jezebel. Ahab had disobeyed God and married a woman from another nation who worshipped false gods and imported all their false gods, Baal and Ashtoreth. And this included child sacrifice. It included uh, all kinds of prostitution and all kinds of things. And they imported it into the nation and encouraged the people to worship these gods. And Elijah's standing before him saying, you got all your gods you're listening to and worshipping. I'm here representing the true and living God. There shall be, here's what he says, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. God's about to turn off the tap of the rain. And the only, this is cool, the only person that could turn on the rain 
It's me, Elijah, the Tishbite. And Elijah's like, that's it. That's, that's, that's the message? That's the message. Elijah's going to leave in just a sec. You're going to see that. But what's amazing about this is that uh, Ahab, as, as the story goes, does not listen. He, he hears Elijah's words, but he, he ignores them. And how often do we hear truth? How often do we hear what God is speaking to us and just be like, hmm, yeah, we'll see. Hmm, yeah, there's other voices. You can turn on the news, you can call your friends. There's all these voices speaking to you, and the voice of God is coming to you through the scriptures, through, through a message like this, and you have to decide if you're going to listen. Ahab didn't listen. And what's interesting is that Ahab doesn't listen until Elijah leaves and goes into hiding and the famine comes. And I have no doubt that when the famine comes, he prayed to Ashtoreth and he prayed to Baal and he offered sacrifices and none of those gods could do anything because they're not real gods. And so he begins to look for Elijah. You know, I was thinking about this today. Uh, What you trust in, what you and I trust in will be revealed in times of trouble. And and Ahab, uh, he doesn't care about what Elijah's going to say, but once the famine comes, once the drought comes, all of a sudden he starts sending messengers all over the kingdom to the surrounding nations trying to find Elijah. What happens in the next chapter, I'm going to skip ahead. So Elijah gives the message. It's going to rain. It's not going to rain. He leaves. There's a, a severe drought for at least two years. Ahab's trying to find him. Elijah comes back and reveals himself to Ahab. And Ahab says to him, and this is in the next chapter, 18, verse 17, he says, Ahab saw Elijah and Ahab said to him, it is you, is it you, you troubler of Israel? Ahab's blaming Elijah for the famine, for the drought, for the rain not coming. He's like, this is your fault. And you know what's fascinating to me is whenever trouble comes, it's amazing how quick we start pointing fingers because we're trying to figure out why. And of course, we usually figure (laughs) the problem's someone else, right? And if you do that right now, if you just turn to whoever you're sitting with and be like, I think the problem's you. And what's amazing is when you say that, whoever's sitting there won't be surprised because you've probably done it before. And he says, Elijah, this is your fault, you troubler of Israel. And Elijah responds to him, and he answered, I have not troubled Israel. You have, and your father's house, because, he says, you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the veils. God had told the nation of Israel and the kings, don't worship other gods, don't marry these women, because they're going to bring their gods into the land. Uh, Don't commit certain sins, And, and Ahab's doing all of it and encouraging the nation. And because of it, God says, if you do those things, Destruction will befall your nation, and that's exactly what's happening. So Elijah says, actually, it's your fault. You see, there's what I call a perennial problem in the Old Testament. You know what perennials are? Perennials are those flowers that are popping out of the ground right now that you didn't plant this year. Perennials come back over and over again. Annuals, you plant them and they die at the end of the year and they don't come back. There's a perennial problem throughout the scriptures. You find in the Old Testament, the people of God, they worshiped God, loved him, obeyed his commands, things went well, God blessed them. And then they, when things went well, they would turn away from God and they would pursue their own desires. They would pursue the gods of the nations. They wanted to be like everyone else. And then disaster would befall them and they would cry, oh God, save us. And then God would save them and he would bless them and everything would go great. And guess what would happen next? They'd turn away from God and they would sin and they would worship other gods and things would go bad. It's a perennial problem. But it's not just the children of Israel. It's us too. Many of us, as soon as God uh, saves us from our predicament, guess what happens? We fall back and we turn away from him and we ignore him. See, it's not just them. It's a perennial problem. And I want to encourage you and I want to encourage me to be perennial worshipers of God. In other words, that no matter what's happening, 
If things are going well, I'm worshiping God. If I'm going through difficult times, I'm worshiping God. If I have much, I'm worshiping God. If I have little, I'm worshiping God. That we might be like Paul and Silas when they were imprisoned in Roman prison cells and their hands and feet were put into stock. You know what they did? They worshiped the God of heaven. They worshiped the God of heaven. Even though they were physically bound, they were free on the inside and they worshiped their God through song. And you know what happened? When they got freedom on the inside, those shackles were miraculously broken free and they got freedom on the outside. And some of us need to be reminded today We're wanting God to fix all the stuff on the outside, but what we need is freedom on the inside, and it will result and materialize in freedom on the outside. So there's this perennial problem of sin and turning away from God. And and here what's going to happen is because of this famine, because of the drought, Ahab and the people are going to come looking for Elijah, looking for the solution. Here's what it says next. We're jumping back into chapter 17, verse 2. It says, And the word of the Lord came to him. Came to who? Came to Elijah. God told Elijah, go tell this to Ahab. Now he's telling Elijah, I want you to go hide. What's interesting about this to me is that Elijah doesn't have the master plan. God hasn't told Elijah to do A, B, C, D, E. He literally one thing at a time. And Elijah gives the word to the king and then he has to wait. And God says, I want you to go there. And so he's going to go there. And guess what he's going to do there? He's going to wait. And sometimes we want God to reveal, you know, the whole roadmap, but he wants us to trust him and take one step after the other. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. Okay, so what's going to happen is God is going to hide Elijah away so that when things get bad in Israel, the king Ahab, who's been ignoring God and trying to kill all his prophets, will all of a sudden realize that God is the only one who can turn this around. And he's going to go to look for Elijah, but he won't be able to find him. So Elijah's going to go and hide. And by the way, Elijah's going to be in isolation for a year to a year and a half by himself. I don't know how much cabin fever you guys are experiencing right now, but if you would, if you would just write in the, in the comment section uh, on a scale of one to 10, where you're at with cabin fever, because I'm guessing Elijah was feeling it as he was there uh, on his own. But here's what it says. He says, I want you to turn and go eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith. The brook Cherith. Now, you may not know this, but the word Cherith actually means a place of cutting or separation. And I think that's fascinating that God is going to send Elijah to a place of cutting and separation. That Elijah is going to spend a year or more in a season of isolation. And during that season of isolation, and I know you guys know something about what that feels like. During the season of isolation, God is going to both provide for Elijah the things he needs. And I believe he's going to provide for us as well. And he's also going to prepare Elijah for the next season and phase of his ministry. And Elijah wouldn't know this, but this season of isolation and cutting away and pruning and being alone is actually going to prepare him to stand on Mount Carmel and call down fire from heaven and pray the rains back into the land and kill the prophets of Baal. God is preparing Elijah for what is next. And I believe God's providing us, preparing us for what is, for what is next as well. So, Elijah goes to the brook Cherith, the place of cutting, the place of separation. And my guess is Elijah didn't want to be there. I know I, I don't want to be isolated. I don't want to be sitting at home. Elijah didn't want to be there, didn't want the isolation, but he also didn't want to waste that moment. Do you know that what may appear as an obstacle to some may actually be an opportunity 
I know there's a lot of serious things going on around us in our world, but did you know that this is also an opportunity? That perhaps God would use this time of isolation, this time of distancing, to cut away things in our lives that perhaps shouldn't have been there in the first place. And, and we would be foolish to miss the opportunity that we have in front of us to hit reset, to be able to boop, reset our relationships with our family, boop, reset our devotion time with God, boop, reset our priorities, boop, reset our timetables, boop, reset our faith. We have an incredible opportunity where everything that's been pulling at us has been stripped away. And while it's an obstacle and while it's difficult, it's also an incredible opportunity. And we shouldn't miss this opportunity to see what God would do. You see, while Elijah was sitting there with nothing to do, God was preparing him and providing for him. And the place of Cherith, this place of isolation, became for him a place of restoration, of reformation, and a place of preparation for what would come. It's incredible. Here's what it says next in verse 4. You shall drink from the brook. God sends him to Cherith. And he says, you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. I'm going to come back to ravens, but I want you to see the word there. You see that word? I will feed you with the ravens, and I will feed you there. Now, God promises to provide for Elijah, and here's how he says. He says, I'm going to provide for you by ravens, but I'm going to provide for you there. Now, the problem for me is I want God to provide for me here. And God's like, no, I'm going to provide for you there. Elijah could have stopped at the Jordan River, put his feet in the sand, sat against a palm tree, went, this is nice. I'll stay here and wait. God, would you bring me some food, provide for me? And God's like, no, no. I said, cross the Jordan and go to Cherith. And there, in that place, I will provide for you. And it's a reminder to me that sometimes it's like, God, I want you to provide for me on my timetable in the way that I see fit. Bring it to me here. And God's like, no, no, no. I'm not going to provide for you here. I'm going to provide for you. Let's all say it together. There. I'm going to provide for you there. And by the way, there is not an address. There is a condition of the heart. There is obedience. There is our heart towards God. He says, I'm going to provide for you there. So verse 5. He went and did according to the word of the Lord. Elijah heard the word of God and he went to Cherith. He crossed the Jordan. He went exactly where God told him. He was obedient. And here's what you need to know. Obedient to God positions us to receive from God. Obedience to God positions us to receive from God. God says, I'm sending the ravens with provision over there. And we're like, God, give it to me here. And he's like, no, you got to go over there. So in obedience, Elijah goes to Cherith. And when he gets there, the provision flows. He receives what he needs. And so what you have to understand is obedience to God and his word actually positions us to be able to receive what God has promised to give us. James, the brother of Jesus, said this. He said, be doers of the word and not hearers only. It's not enough to just hear Bible verses or know them. You have to do it. You've got to be obedient to what God says. And when you do, your obedience will literally position you to receive the provision, blessing, and protection that God has promised to you. Jesus says it this way. Matthew 6.33 Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. What things? Your food, your clothing, your protection, the things that you need, the things that you're desperate for, they'll be provided if you just go to the right place. If you'll seek him first and obey him. 
And it continues to say this, and he went and lived by the brook Cherith that is east of Jordan, and the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Ravens are bringing him his food. And it says the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, bread and meat in the evening. I was telling my mom last night that I was going to preach on this particular passage about how God sent the ravens to provide. And she said, oh yeah, God brought him hamburgers. I thought, hamburgers? What are you, what are you talking Oh, bread and meat. I'd never thought of that. Bread and meat and bread and meat. It's like a Big Mac. And so the, here comes this food. God is miraculously providing for Elijah, but I want you to notice how he does it. God chooses not to send him to an Airbnb, not to send him to an all-you-can-eat resort. He sends him to a remote brook where there's no food, and God is going to miraculously send it via ravens. Ravens are like seagulls. They're scavengers. Mine! And ravens don't deliver food to you. They steal your lunch. Ravens take from you, and God is going to use ravens to deliver. I was trying to think of a title for the sermon. My first title was uh, Unprecedented. Right? Don't buy the unprecedented lie. And then I thought, no, no, uh, the ravens are bringing the food right to his door. It's miraculous. I want to call it skip the dishes, you know, because this food just kind of shows up uh, morning and night for him and God provides for him, but he uses ravens and God is going to use these ravens. And by the way, this is not a raven's nature to bring you food. It's a raven's nature to steal your food. And so God is just basically saying, hey, look, I'm going to provide for you, Elijah, in a way that can only be me. And I believe that if we're obedient to God, he will provide our needs during this time of difficulty. And guess what? He's going to do it in such a way. Maybe there'll be some, some person that is the stingiest person you ever know, and they're going to show up with things you need and give them to you. And you're like, that doesn't make sense. God is providing for me via ravens. God is going to use people, come and provide for you through ways that you would never have imagined. So when it happens, you will know that it's actually God providing for you. You say, Does God care? Absolutely. He just sent me a meal via ravens, and that just doesn't happen. And so when a raven brings you food, you know it's coming from God. Here's here's the amazing thing, and we'll close here. In verse 7, it says, And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. God sends Elijah to the brook Cherith. And while he's there, God is providing all this food. Everything's great. And then all of a sudden, the brook that was providing him his water to live dries up. The very way that God was providing for him stops. And I find this fascinating because I've found that sometimes God will just stop providing for me in the way that he used to. And that change unsettles me. Because what happens, here's what I think happened. Uh, Elijah would have showed up there and he's drinking from the brook and he's, oh man, I'm a little hungry. And all of a sudden, ravens start flying in out of nowhere dropping hamburgers on them and he's like this is amazing so the first week every time the ravens would come he'd be like this is a miracle skip the dishes i didn't even order this this is amazing he's got his burgers after 400 days of twice a day hamburgers from ravens after 400 days what was once a miracle starts to become mundane it's like oh that's just what happens that's just how god feeds me that way and i wonder sometimes if this covid crisis hasn't shaken us from some of the ways that God used to provide, like some of the things we used to take for granted, like our health, our freedom, the way we could travel, uh, our jobs. It's like, oh, that's, that's just normal. No, those are blessings from God. And, and sometimes we, we stop seeing the miraculous and we stop seeing how God's providing because, oh, well, that's just normal. And God's going to just take this away. He's going to take away uh, the water 
and take away the ravens. And God is going to provide for Elijah in a new way. Next Sunday, I'm going to show you how God continues to provide for Elijah. But this time, he's going to provide for Elijah through a poor widow who has no food. And not only is God going to provide for Elijah there in a new way, he's also, while he's providing for Elijah, he's going to provide for the woman and her child. So perhaps God in this time wants to change the way he's meeting your needs and maybe even meet someone else's needs at the same time. Here's the idea that I want us to think about as we close today. Sometimes God will change the way he's meeting our needs and the way he's providing for us so that we will remember who is truly our provider. And I want you to consider this statement that our faith is not in the delivery system. It's not in the ravens. It's not in the the restaurant. It's not in the government. It's not in our boss. It's not in even our work ethic. Our faith is not in the delivery system. Our faith is in the God who delivers. And Elijah, throughout this entire two to three year window of famine, he's going to continue to trust God. And God's going to take care of him day by day. And Elijah's faith is in God, not in the method of delivery but in the God who delivers. And I pray that for you and me, no matter what's going on in our lives, that our faith through this time would grow through the time of uncertainty, that when we don't know which way is up or down, we would look to him and trust in him throughout this season. Can we pray together? Father, I thank you for this message and for this example we have. 3,000 years ago, Elijah, a man like us with fears and needs, God, you provided for him as he was obedient and trusted in you. And Lord, you gave to him his daily bread just as you promised to give us our daily bread each day so lord it's easy for us to look at the ways in which you have been providing for us in the past and for those things to become mundane and normal but lord today we want to trust you we want to trust you in this moment to both provide for us and to prepare us for the next season that you have god we thank you that you are always with us and that you are working in us and through us today in jesus name Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. See you next week.